We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. So, of course, when God is taking an oath, he has no one higher than himself that he can point to. He has to say, on my word. Uh, And so we see an oath is invoking God. In verse 16, it said it's for final confirmation. It's to end strife. It's to because mankind is so liable to lie because we are so dishonest at core. And do you have to teach children to lie? Is it something that comes unnaturally to them? No, of course, you've seen all the hundreds of thousands of videos on YouTube with children with chocolate on their face. And the parent says, did you eat the chocolate I told you not to? No, I didn't. Just saying it straight to the person. I didn't do it. The lying comes naturally to us. It must be brought out of us by grace. It must be disciplined and and removed from us. It does not have to be taught. So because mankind is so liable to lie, there became this thing of, okay, well, now I'm really, really serious. I know usually I don't. And Christ is trying to say that whole system is wrong. Your word ought to be your word. And that should be enough because you're always telling the truth rather than constructing this system of lies. Uh, one more verse talking about oaths here, Matthew 26, 63 through 64. But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power coming in the clouds of heaven. And so he's told here under oath, he says, I adjure you by God. Tell us what's going on. And Jesus takes that oath, says, yes, I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. And so Christ did not shy away from this oath. So we have here... This kind of um, situation where the text seems to be saying, Jesus is saying, do not take an oath ever, period. And so would we take it that the Anabaptists and the Quakers are right? You ought not to take an oath if you go into a courtroom. You cannot say, I will tell the truth, but so help me God, or you cannot take an oath ever. Well, those of you that are married, you've also taken that oath. So you have taken oaths before. So what are we to do with this? Well, I'll read to you Calvin on this subject. The Anabaptists, too, have blustered a great deal on the ground that Christ appears to have no liberty to swear on any occasion, but he commands swear not at all. We need not go beyond the immediate context to obtain the exposition, for he immediately adds, neither by heaven nor by the earth, who does not see that these kinds of swearing were added by way of explanation to explain the former clause? So Christ is speaking of these specific swears, this system of, of trying to swear in ways that cause you to be able to lie. The Jews had curious and or indirect ways of swearing. And when they swore by heaven or earth or by the altar, they reckoned it to be next to nothing. And so they could void these things. Hence, we conclude that the particle at all relates not to the substance, but to the form and means neither directly nor indirectly. He wants you, your word to be the, the critical issue here and your word must be true when you give it. We take oaths in this church. I wonder, do you remember the oath you took for membership? Do you support that oath? Do you try and live up to that oath? Well, so we see the the first chunk of these verses deal with oath-taking. We are to keep our oaths. This much is clear. What about the last verse? 
the last verse is verse 37. Let what you say simply, let, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. So here he's talking to us not just in the oath context. It's in how do you tell the truth, period, in your everyday speech or lies to be part of a Christian's life. You see, the whole point of the O's is because we are always lying. That's why we kind of need the O's. But he's saying let's avoid that whole situation. Let us constantly be telling the truth. So I have a question for you, Christian. Is it ever appropriate for a Christian to tell a lie? Is there ever a scenario that you can tell a lie in? Now, the immediate response may be your inclination is, no, God says not to lie. We are not to lie. Let me give you some situations uh, to test you. Uh, are you able to lie if you're playing chess with your grandchild and you let them win and they ask, did you let me win? Are you able to respond back honestly? Uh, the, the very famous one that you know was asked many times, if a wife says, how do I look in this dress? And your response is, what? Are you able to lie? Or we could move from the trivial to the serious. We could place you in Germany in World War II, and we could say that you are hiding some Jews in your attic or in your cellar. And the Nazis come to the door, and they say, are you hiding any Jews? And what is your response, Christian? Or we could bring it to today if you're living in a country where Christianity is illegal and you are hiding some missionaries that are trying to bring the word and the authorities come to you and say, do you have anybody that's preaching the word of God? Are you going to respond? How are you going to answer the authorities? This is a tricky topic. I'm going to tell you by the end my, my uh, impression of it. Uh, but it is a divided topic. In the Reformed world, this is actually a split. The answer is not the same for everyone. Even in our great Southern Presbyterian Church, the great R.L. Dabney, he took the side that there were occasions where you could tell a lie. Whereas James Henley Thornwell took the position that you ought not ever to lie. So even in the Presbyterian Church, there is disagreement. I'm going to give you both uh Arguments, and you will have to look at the scriptures and see, based on your conscience and the word of God, how it stands with you. First of all, what is a lie? Wayne Grudem said it is affirming in speech or writing something you believe to be false. Affirming something you believe to be false. So what would not be a lie, according to that, is it, that had to do with your belief of it. So it's not a mistake. Mistakes aren't considered lies. They're considered mistakes. You, you did not know. It's not fiction. So people who write fiction, they're writing things that aren't true, but they're writing it as fiction. And they're not pretending that it is true. They're not intending to deceive anyone. They're saying, this is a story that I'm writing. So it doesn't cover fiction. Uh, in that case, it wouldn't cover actors. Uh, they are not intending to fool people. They are trying to tell a story. What about games, chess? You're moving a piece to deceive someone, to make them want to go one way while you go another. Or, or one commentator even mentioned a pump fake in football when you act like you're going to pass it to do something else. That's a deception, but it's in a game, right? And so it's a different context. Perhaps the people are not intending. People know that you are not, um, you're not obligated to tell the truth in a game in that situation 
What about the expression, it took forever? I was doing this, oh, it took forever. Well, they're clearly not still doing it, so that's an expression. Uh, so expressions that are not intended to deceive, it's just an expression. It took me a long time. It was exhausting doing this thing. Um, what are things, some people will take it further uh, than Grudem because he says in, in writing or in speech, other people say their actions can can convey meaning. Sometimes they may not, such as, if you leave a light on when you go out of town, that's just conveying that there's a light on. It might be you might be wanting it to convey that somebody's home, but it, it doesn't necessarily have to convey that. Whereas if you're shaking your head yes as opposed to responding yes, you're thinking just because I'm not saying it, but you're still conveying the yes. So sometimes actions can do the conveying. You see this topic, and the more you dig into it, the more uh, situations can arise. God tells us in Scripture that unequal weights is another form of lying that he hates. Proverbs twenty twenty three, Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord. False scales are not good. That is a lying about how things work in commerce, cheating people out of what they are due. Flattery is another. You don't really think somebody's all that good, and yet you flatter them because of what you can get out of it, so you say things that are not necessarily true. Psalm 78, 36, but they flattered him with their mouths they lied to him with their tongues lying lips are an abomination to the lord is another verse so we get the question here what is lying it is deceiving somebody well uh there is moving into now the two positions what are, what are the two positions let's take first that there are exceptions there are um Systematic theologians that believe there are exceptions. John Frame, Dr. Frame is one. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is another. Bonhoeffer gave the famous scenario of there's a school child and the teacher knows that the parent is a drunk and he's ridiculing the child. And he, he says, well, well, did your father come home drunk last night? And the kid is a school child. He has to respond to the teacher. Does he have to tell the teacher, yes, my father came home drunk? Or can he say, no, my father's not a drunkard or, or in that situation? So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, his argument is... The teacher had no right to ask that question. He had no right. You don't have right to all information. And so if somebody has no right to the information, then you have no obligation to give it to them. So that child could lie to the teacher and protect the honor of the parent of, uh, or in one way or another. So that would be uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer's favorite um, example of that. The logic of this goes in this way. There's another commandment that says you shall not murder. And yet when we taught about that, when we explained that there is self-defense, the whole point of not murdering is because God values life. The image of God is in every human being. And so you can't just take it willy-nilly, except if somebody is coming and attacking other people, you can defend them because life is so valuable. So you can fight back. You can take somebody's life in self-defense or the government has the power of the sword and executes criminals or or uh, works in war. That's another place where there are lies and war and deception. But the government has the power of the sword and it is fighting this war tooth and nail and it has the rights to do these things. So it, the argument is, just as we are not to murder, and yet there are exceptions, self-defense, uh, now we have here that there is no lying, but there are exceptions in these very limited situations. You are able to not do these. Uh, the scriptural stories that are put in for the defense of this would be Rahab. 
What did Rahab do? She lied about the spies that came, the spies of Israel, to protect them. And she is later on told in scriptures she is valued for her faith. Uh, and she is indeed in the line of Christ at one point. Look uh, again at the midwives in Egypt. Remember, they were supposed to get rid of the Jewish babies. And yet they said, well, the, these, these women are vigorous and they give birth before we can get there. So we can't, we can't put an end to the pregnancy. Um, so they lied about these things. So these are the scriptural stories um, or examples that are given to uh, bolster this argument. Seems pretty convincing in one way. All right, now let's look at what the people who say it is always wrong. How do they handle it? This is the majority opinion in the Reformed world. It covers people like John Murray, Vern Poitras, uh, Derek Thomas, and of course James Henley Thornwell, like we mentioned before. Um, They say, well, if you look at the scripture where it talks about how great Rahab was, it doesn't say she was great because she lied so well. She was a good liar. Therefore, she's great. It says her faith was strong. And and similarly, they say, well, it says um, David was a man after God's own heart and he was a murderer and adulterer. So I guess that's on the table, too. We can do that occasionally. And of course not. So just because somebody's actions, this is one of the dangers of preaching out of narratives. And some people don't like preaching out of narratives because it's sometimes hard to tell what is the, the right thing we're always looking for. Oh, does the scripture tell us? Does it get does it give us the code on what is right and wrong in this narrative? So. So they would respond and say what it's praising in these people is their faith in God, their, their trust in the God of Israel and not necessarily these actions. OK, Calvin responds in the situation of Rahab that it was that though it was done for good purpose, it was not without fault. Well, uh if we take it, what these people said, here's Derek Thomas's response to the, the, the Nazis coming to your door and do you tell them that you're hiding the Jew? He says, I probably would have lied, but then I probably would have gone to Christ afterwards and prayed for forgiveness for not needing to lie. One thing we can consider and, and the people will, uh, in this camp will put, put, put back towards the others. They'd say, Well, let's look at the life of Christ. Christ was tempted in every way like all men. So he was tempted in every way. And if we're ever put in this position where we think it might be required to lie, then Jesus was tempted in such a way. And yet we have no scriptural example of Christ lying. Not one. And so if Christ could evade it, sometimes in our brains we think, well, there is only two options. Well, perhaps there's another option. Maybe the Nazi comes to your door and maybe you're a Texan with a 45 caliber and you decide I'm going to do a different thing besides lie. I'm going to take them out or I'm going to get with my lesser magistrate and we're going to fight a rebellion rather than like the French who succumbed in a matter of weeks instead of fighting tooth and nail and going back and not letting all the Jews die and do that sort of thing. So there may be other examples, other ways you can go about trying to get your means without simply telling a non-truth. Well, let's dig into scripture. Let's see which one you think the scriptures are falling on. Which of these two sides? What does the Bible say? Well, we've already read the ninth, uh, the, um, the third. So it's both the ninth commandment and the third commandment, right? It's the word of God. You don't take his name in vain. That's taking this oath. And it's also the ninth commandment. You're not to bear false witness. That's what it's speaking of here. You could look at Job 27 or Psalm 5 or 58, 3. The Bible speaks so much about honesty and telling the truth. What does God say? It says, sanctify them in your truth. Worship in spirit and in what? And in truth. Your word is what? Truth. 
God is truth. Phil Johnson said that part of this reason here is that God's character, who he is, is truth. There are many times in Scripture where God takes people's lives. There are many times in scriptures where it says God hates the wicked or he hates evil actions because, and Romans, uh, Romans tells us that genuine love must hate. If you love something, you hate that which attacks it and ruins it. So God is said in scripture to kill, to take lives, to hate, but it never says God lies. In fact, it says God cannot lie. You saw that in the Hebrews passage we read. It is impossible for God to lie. So Phil Johnson says it is part of God's character to tell the truth. We are never to tell a lie because that's not who our God is. We are children of the light. We are children of our God. Secondly, these uh, theologians will argue it's not just the character of God that points us to always telling the truth. It is also the character of Satan that makes us recoil from lies. Who is the great liar and deceiver? It is Satan. We read earlier about uh, the, the, the example of who, what was the first sin? Who tempted in the first sin? It was Satan, the serpent. And he came and he said, did God really say? And then he lied. You won't really die. That was a lie. They did die. Death and, and uh, evil entered this world. The principle of death came in. So he lied. He is the father of lies. So I will admit that I fall in the camp of people who will say it is never appropriate to lie, even in these hard situations. And, and part of the thing that makes me recoil from the other is that you, you think of these great Christians in history. Let's think of Luther. Luther's standing before the, the, the high imperial court and they say, recant. And he says, well, uh, if my life, you know, I, you're allowed to lie if your life is in danger and mine's in danger. So I'm just going to say I recant, but I'm going to hold my cross fingers behind my back and then I'll, t- I'll write later that I recant. How would you like the story in the history books written like that? Rather than here I stand, I can do no other. My conscience bears witness that God's word will never fall versus Okay, I'm going to just tell a little fib here to get out of it. We can have other examples you could take from Scripture. What about John the Baptist? His life was on the line. He got beheaded for it. Why didn't he just say, you know what, I I kind of misspoke. You really can sleep with whoever you want to sleep with. Never mind. And then when he gets back into the wilderness, then he'll really tell the truth. I wasn't telling the truth then, but I am now. I think to me it just seems like that's the sort of thing that Christ is trying to remove us from. Stop swearing by this and that. Let your words be your words. Now, will you always get out of it? I don't think so. Sometimes you will end in death, and that is a bad thing. But is death the worst thing? Is death the worst thing that you know? What is death for us? Death is entry into the next world. For believers, it is entry into the next world. The worst thing the devil can do is send you to your maker, which is not a wicked thing when we are believers to go to our God. What is the example of believers uh, in the scriptures who would not bow even if their lives depended on. I'll read to you Daniel three sixteen and 18. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. But if it be so, if our God, uh, no, if it, be, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning furnace. He will del- and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, 
Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve you or your gods or worship the image that you have set up. Rather than say, okay, we will, we'll serve your God here and telling him that, but then going in the closet and, and not really worshiping that God. Rather than doing that, they say, look, if God decides that it's our time to die now, we will die now, but we will not renounce our God. We will live up to his standards. Well, you can tell which side I'm on. Uh, you, I'm not forcing you to take that side. You can reject it and think that the other arguments are more sound. That is your prerogative. You have the word of God and you have your conscience. These are hard questions. What I don't want us to do, how many times is your life really on the line? How many Jews do you have hiding in your basement with Nazis coming? This is such... A small number of times that we're in this situation. Most of the lies that we tell, is anybody's life on the line? No. You, what do we tell lies for? For our reputation. You're, uh, you come up with excuses because you don't want to look bad and you're going to tell a lie about that. You do things for your own glory, your own kingdom, your own self. Your selfish desires is why you tell lies. So whether you're on either one of those sides is almost immaterial. Almost irrelevant. It's not. You should figure it out because one day maybe you will have to make a decision with somebody's line, life on the line. But for everyday living, let's move into that section where we talk about this everyday living. How do we apply this truth telling? Well, the best application, of course, is uh, Westminster Larger Catechism. So I'm going to read this to you. It's a longer text. So I ask you to listen and try and follow each one. We have here in question 144, what are the duties required in the ninth commandment? And that's what Jesus is uh, giving an exposition on. The duties required in the ninth commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man, the good name of our neighbor, as well as our own, the appearing, appearing and standing for truth, and from the heart sincerely, freely, clearly, and fully speaking the truth, and only the truth. In matters of judgment and justice, and in all other things whatsoever, a charitable esteem of our neighbor, loving, desiring, rejoicing in their good name, sorrowing for and covering over their infirmities, freely acknowledging the gifts and graces, defending their innocency, already receiving of a good report, and unwillingness to admit of an evil report concerning them, discouraging talebearers, flatterers, and slanderers, love and care of our own good name, Defending it whenever it requires is required, keeping of lawful promises, studying and practicing of whatsoever things are true, honest, lovely, and of good report. And of course, you know from our uh, texts in these sermons, whatever is commanded on one side, we have the opposites rejected. So we have here in question 145, what are the sins forbidden in the ninth commandment? The sins forbidden in the ninth commandment are all prejudicing of truth, the good name of our neighbor as well as our own, especially in public judiciary, giving false evidence, subordinating false witness, 
appearing and pleading for a case of evil, outfacing and overbearing the truth, passing unjust sentence, calling evil good and good evil, rewarding the wicked according to the work of the righteous and the righteous according to the work of the wicked, forgery, concealing the truth, undue silence of just cause, holding our peace when iniquity calleth forth either reproof from ourselves or complaint to others. Speaking the truth unseasonably or maliciously to a wrong end or perverting a wrong meaning or doubtful and and equivocal expressions to the prejudice of truth, speaking untruth, lying, slandering, backbiting, distracting, tailbearing, whispering, scoffing, reviling, rash, harsh, and partial censoring, misconstruing intentions and words and actions, flattering, vainglorious boasting. And it continues on. How many things we do with our speech? How many things we do with lying? So I'm going to continue here. That was a slight break, so you didn't get bored there. Thinking or speaking too highly or meanly of ourselves or others, denying the gifts and graces of God, aggravating smaller gifts, hiding, excusing or extenuating the sins when called to free confession, unnecessary or discovering infirmities, raising false rumors, receiving and countenancing evil reports and stopping of our ears against just defense, evil suspicion, envying, grieving and the deserved credit of any, uh, endeavoring or desiring to impair it, rejoicing in the dis- disgrace and infamy, scornful contempt, fond admiration, breach of lawful promises, Neglecting such things as are of good report and practicing or avoiding things that we ought in such things as procure an ill name. You probably did not get all of that, but you can go home and read the Westminster Larger Catechism and study those. Part of uh, you might have heard one or two in there where you're like, how did that tie in? They give text footnotes on how. So if you're like, I don't see how that ties in, that would be a good study to do to see what scriptures are the basis for that and how it does tie in. So as we close here. I'm going to close with Samuel Rutherford. You've heard me quote him before, and then I'll quote some scriptures. Samuel Rutherford was a Presbyterian minister in the 1600s, and he wrote his uh, letters, um, which are uh, Charles Spurgeon said was one of the best books besides the Bible in all of history, where he's, he's, he wrote to people who were being persecuted. And one of, the, one of his statements that I have on my desk at home is, duties are ours, events are God's. So people were being, the Presbyterians were being persecuted by the Episcopalians. And um, he said, your only job is to be faithful. You be faithful. And whatever happens, that's in God's hands. He's a sovereign God. You hold to the truth. You hold to what you're supposed to hold to. Duties are yours. Events are God's. You let the outcome land where it may. But this is for God to do. And then. Uh, I'll recommend to you, I've recommended it before, one of my favorite movies is Man for All Seasons. Raise your hand if you've seen that movie. Good. If you haven't, you should, and if you've seen it and it's been years, you should rent it again. It's a great movie. But uh, here's a quote from Thomas More. The whole premise of the movie is they're wanting him to sign a thing that says, I agree with something, but he doesn't agree with it. He doesn't agree to the to the divorce that the king is seeking. Um, and so he, he won't do it. And the whole thing, the whole country is trying to get him to, to get him to um, to sign this thing. And it eventually ends in his death. But his statement here is God made the angels to show him 
and splendor. And he made animals for innocence and plants for their simplicity. But man, he made to serve him wittily in the tangle of his mind. And if he suffers us to come to such a case that there's no escaping, then may we stand by our tackle as best we can. And yes, Meg, then we can clamor like champions if we have the spittle for it. But that's God's part, not our own, to bring ourselves to such a pass. Our natural business lies in escaping. And so his whole point was he won't tell a lie. He'll do everything he can to avoid and get out of the situation and not die. He wants to serve his Lord on this land. But if he's in a spot where he can't do anything but lie, he says, then I'm stuck. There's no way out for me in that situation. And the final seen as him in the courtroom and they pronounce him guilty and he won't lie about the thing and once they pronounce him guilty he says well now I'm really going to tell you now I'll tell you the truth of what it was so great scene and great movie all right I'm going to close with two scripture verses here how this is James 3 5 through 12 how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire he's talking about the tongue or speech and the tongue is a fire A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and then we curse others. With the same mouth, blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth opening fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree produce olives and a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt pond yield fresh water. So he's saying your tongue ought to be producing fresh water, spring water. It ought not to be producing both kinds of things. Proverbs 12:22. lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. Uh, Pastor Gallagher says that your speech is an advertisement for your heart. You want the things that come out of your heart to be uh, life-giving, edifying, speaking truth to people. We ought to, as Christians, seek to remember the, we're, we're in the Sermon on the Mountain. How did he start? He started with the Beatitudes. He said, you are lowly in spirit. You're to be lowly in spirit, not haughty. You are to recognize your spiritual poverty. And then he gives us his grace. And once we're filled with that grace, he said, what are you then? You are salt and light. You're to go forth in this world bringing light, not deception. You are to be going forth into this world speaking truth at all times. We are here closing with Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence in these things worthy of praise, think about these things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, think about these things. Let's go before our Lord in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, how we need you. We are sinners who are so prone at at moments in our lives to say things, even at the spur of the moment, so that we can avoid shame and so that we can avoid uh, uh, all sorts of things. Our our natural inclination is to say lies so that we get out of things or that we can get things in our taxes or all sorts of things. Our natural inclination is deception. 
Oh, we desire that not to be, Heavenly Father. We ask that you would sanctify us with your word, which is truth. That you would cause us to desire to love the things that are good and noble and true. That you would feed us with your righteousness. That it would just well out of us. That when we're in those situations that rise in life where we're inclined to lie, that we would think not of our glory, but of your glory, of your kingdom. That we could own up to mistakes that we've made and say, you know, I I really did that and I ought not to have. But my God tells me to be honest and I'm telling you and I'm sorry and I will do better. Oh God, make us people who really serve you and love you with our tongues that thing that is so hard to tame. We ask that you would cause us to do that, not by our own strength, for we cannot with our own strength, but we ask that you would cause us to do that by your Holy Spirit. Empower us, Lord, we pray in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen. We come now to our...